In our gospel reading today, Luke chapter 4, Jesus visits his hometown synagogue on the Sabbath and he begins to read from our sermon passage for today, Isaiah 61 and 62. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. And then he claims to be the fulfillment of that scripture. Jesus claims to be the anointed one, which the word is Messiah. So in, in Luke chapter 4, Jesus gives us a very important interpretive key when it comes to understanding Isaiah 61 and 62. According to Jesus, these chapters are about him. The Spirit of the Lord was upon him because the Lord had anointed him to bring good news to the poor. Our passage today begins at the end of chapter 61, and the anointed one, the Messiah, is speaking. Jesus is speaking. Verse 10 and 11. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels, for as the earth brings forth its sprouts, and as a garden causes what is sown in it to sprout up, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to sprout up before all the nations. Now, there are so many different metaphors at play within these verses. Clothing and garments, the priesthood, marriage, gardening, light and darkness, and so on. But, but the imagery does seem to oscillate between two primary metaphors. The, 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 the metaphor of marriage and the metaphor of gardening. In the Bible, these metaphors are closely related. Marriage and gardening. In the garden, Adam watched as the serpent deceived his bride. In the Song of Solomon, the bride is often referred to as a garden. In the Gospel of John, Mary Magdalene, symbolizing the bride of Christ, meets with Jesus in a garden, and she even mistakes him for a gardener. In Revelation 21, the holy city of God is described as a bride adorned for her husband, but, but the city is simultaneously described as a garden. I could keep going, but you get the point. The Bible routinely mixes the metaphors of marriage and gardening. Wives are depicted as gardens, and husbands are depicted as gardeners. Gardens are beautiful and fragrant. Gardeners, not so much. Gardens are by nature charged with glory and potential, but gardeners, on the other hand, are most glorified when their gardens are glorious. And so husbands are called to love their wives and care for their wives like faithful gardeners because wives, like gardens, have the God-given potential for great glory and fruitfulness. The best gardeners are those who, who love and know and tend and guard and care for their gardens with diligence and attentiveness. So there, there's a whole marriage sermon here, but we're going to move on. All right, I'm going to read 10 and 11 again. So notice the marriage and gardening metaphors. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. 
He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels, for as the earth brings forth its sprouts, and as a garden causes what is sown in it to sprout up, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to sprout up before all nations. So here we see the anointed one rejoicing because God has clothed him with the garments of salvation and righteousness. But verse 10 is strange, if you think about it. Uh, The Messiah describes himself both as a bridegroom and as a bride. As a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. So is is the Messiah being compared to a bridegroom or a bride? Is Jesus a bridegroom or a bride? We're going to wait to answer that uh, because it's going to get even more strange here in a minute. But we see that the Messiah is adorned with salvation and righteousness, like like a bridegroom and like a bride. And the result, the result of that is that the garden of God bears the fruit of righteousness and praise. And all the nations are going to see it. And this theme continues in chapter 62. For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. And for Jerusalem's sake, I will not be quiet until her righteousness goes forth as brightness and her salvation as a burning torch. The nations shall see your righteousness and all the kings your glory, and you shall be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will give. So notice, Zion is referred to as a she. Jerusalem is a woman. The garden in chapter 61 is now a city in chapter 62. And when she is glorious, when she shines, the nations are going to see it. Like a faithful gardener, the Lord will tend to his garden, his bride, also known as Zion, also known as Jerusalem. And she is, gonna, she is going to be beautiful to such a degree that the nations will be drawn to her glory and fruitfulness. She's going to turn some heads. Chapter 62, verse 3. You shall be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. You shall no more be termed forsaken and your land shall no more be termed desolate, but you shall be called, my delight is in her, and your land married. For the Lord delights in you, and your land shall be married. Again, Isaiah is mixing metaphors here. The garden, which is the bride, which is the city of God, is a crown of beauty, a royal diadem. She is no longer forsaken and desolate. She is cherished and spoken for and married and made exceedingly fruitful. Her name is, my delight is in her. And so God is depicted as the ideal bridegroom here. Consider a wedding ceremony. A groom may be glorious in his own way, but he is not preoccupied with putting his own glory on display. What he really wants is for everyone to see the glory of his bride. 
as a gardener, the groom is most glorified when the garden, his bride, is revealed in all her glory. That is the dynamic here in Isaiah 62. That, that is how God relates to his bride. And you may be thinking, wait a minute, I know what the church is like, and she is not all that beautiful or glorious. And, and there may be some truth to that, but that doesn't mean that Isaiah is wrong. It just means that the church is, is not currently living up to the Bible's vision for her. Even when a garden is struggling to bear fruit, even when a garden is, is choked out by thorns and thistles, a good gardener is still able to see the underlying glory and potential there. And so, and so the church is not is never God-forsaken. She is loved, and she is cherished. She is called, my delight is in her. And if he delights in her, then perhaps we should too. Now, recall from chapter 61 that the Messiah is compared to both a bridegroom and a bride. That's Jesus is compared to both a bridegroom and a bride. And that's strange, and that is strange. But as promised, uh, things get even more strange. Chapter 62, verse 5. For as a young man marries a young woman, that's the word for virgin, by the way. For as a young man marries a virgin, so shall your sons marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. All right? Two problems here. Two very strange problems. Number one, Isaiah says that multiple sons will marry their virgin mother. How can a virgin be a mother to a plurality of sons? And why would Isaiah depict those sons marrying her? That's problem number one. Problem number two, we are told that God is the husband of that same woman. The virgin mother will be married by her sons and married by God. Again, very strange. Not just for us. Isaiah's original audience would have found this very strange too. Let's remember Luke chapter 4. Jesus has already invited us to interpret these things as pertaining to him. So how does the gospel help us to make sense of these very strange problems? Let's begin with the virgin mother. The most obvious fulfillment of this theme is in the person of Mary. In the New Testament, not only is the virgin Mary the mother of God, she, is also, she also routinely serves as a symbol for the church, the bride of God. You see, Mary represents and symbolizes all the people of God throughout history. Throughout the Old Testament, the people of God were anything but a virgin. They were routinely unfaithful and adulterous. But by the time we come to the New Testament, God has restored the virginity of his people as symbolized by the Virgin Mary. And that is how the mother of God is simultaneously the bride of God. Jesus is the Son of God and the Son of Israel. He is the singular representative of all God's people. 
All of the sons are in the son. And so he has become, he, he has come to be a bridegroom to those people. A bridegroom to the very people who gave birth to him. That, that's, that's a bit strange and confusing, I know, but it's deserving of your reflection. Jesus has fulfilled Messiah, Isaiah in the most incredible way. But what about problem number two? How can the Son of God be married to the same virgin as God himself? Well, that one's easy because the Son of God is God himself. Jesus is the Son who becomes a bridegroom to his mother because he is Yahweh. Yahweh has taken on flesh. Yahweh has come as a son of Zion in order to become the husband of Zion. So as you might expect, there's, there's a lot of debate among scholars over who is speaking within these verses. Is it God? Is it the Messiah? Is it the people of God? And the answer is yes. God, the Messiah, and his people in, in covenantal union with one another. In the words of the Apostle Paul, this mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. The Messiah and his people, the son and his mother, the bridegroom and his bride have become one flesh. We are united to Christ as in a marriage. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. So as, as Christians, as those who have seen the fulfillment of all of these things in the Messiah, we have the privilege of perceiving how all of this strangeness and all of these mixed metaphors actually get ironed out in the person of Christ. We are also given a powerful reminder of God's love for us, God's love for the church. As the bride of Christ, we are loved and cherished. Our name is called, my delight is in her. We are the delight of the Lord. We are a beautiful and beautifully adorned bride. We are a crown on the head of Christ. We are the garden of God, the glorious garden of God. But we can be even more specific. You, individually, are delighted in by God. You're not perfect, but that doesn't stop him from delighting in you. You are loved. You are deeply cherished. He desires to see you thriving and fruitful. He can, he can see glory in you that you don't see in yourself. You are loved by a good and faithful gardener. And that means you are destined for glory. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, it is good to be loved by you. It is good to worship a God who is faithful, a God who is deserving of our trust. Jesus, you are our bridegroom, our kinsman redeemer. You have clothed us in the garments of your salvation. We praise you.
and we give you thanks. Holy Spirit, like a bride and a garden, make the church, make our church beautiful and glorious in the sight of our neighbors and in the sight of the nations. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.